Good morning. Welcome to worship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Our Holy Gospel today is from the 16th chapter of Matthew. From this time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some of you are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The Gospel of our Lord. I invite you to join me in praying the Holy Spirit prayer in our time of meditation together today. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit instructs the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. It has been quite a week for Peter. He goes from being, remember last week's gospel text? He goes from being the rock upon which the church will be built to being a stumbling block. Rock foundation to stumbling block. Scott knows something about that. He's construction. Hmm. An oxymoron. You know, I think it's fair to say that at that particular moment in Peter's life, he didn't have a clue. He didn't have a clue about Jesus. Not until much later, perhaps maybe even after his death and his resurrection, it was not until much later that Peter really knew and began to realize the true nature and mission of Jesus. Jesus addressed Peter and he said, You are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And as I have reflected upon this passage this week, I've come to the realization that this is the basic, fundamental reason why you and I need, and the reason why you and I come here every weekend to hear the Word of God. Because we're humans. We need to be reminded again and again and again and again that we are to keep our minds on the things that are divine. One of my pastoral colleagues, uh, he keeps tabs on Garrison Keillor. Are you all familiar with who Garrison Keillor is? Raise your hand. Garrison Keillor. All right, it's, a, it's an upper Midwest thing. If you, if you grew up or if you lived in Minnesota, Wisconsin, South Dakota, Iowa, you all know who Garrison Keillor is because he is the person who had the public radio Pray Home Companion. It's a two-hour show every Saturday, and it's filled with all kinds of music and 
Garrison Keillor is the person who produced that show, and he was always the one who had kind of this dialogue, a story dialogue with the people in the audience every week. And kind of a philosopher, theologian kind of person, very, very well-known person in the upper Midwest circle of people who listened in to Prairie Home Companion. If you have never listened to it, I would encourage you to do so. Check it out. Go to online. Go to Prairie Home Companion and just kind of listen to an episode and you'll know what I'm talking about. Well, Garrison Keillor spent most of his life in Minnesota, but now in his retirement, where else does he live? He lives in New York City. (laughs) Really kind of strange when you think about it. I mean, wow. But on the other hand, here I am. I, I grew up and lived most of my life in Wisconsin. Here I am in Arizona, of all things, you know. But anyway, so he now lives amongst the high-rise skyscrapers. And what he refers to these high buildings is he refers to them as his canyon. That He goes out for his walks every day, and he walks through the canyon of the high-rise buildings in New York City. I'm just trying to give you a preface here to what it is that he's going to tell you and what he said this week. He also, because he's a writer, he still writes to this day, even though he's in his 80s now, and he publishes those writings in a blog. I think it's also interesting for you to know that Garrison Keillor is a Christian, and he goes to church. And he goes to church on a pretty regular basis. Although he does make fun of Lutherans. He makes fun of Lutherans a lot. Ah, well, it just so happened that this past week he was returning home from church. And he got home and he wrote. And I want to share with you something that he wrote. He said, church is a treatment for narcissism. There's a lot of truth to that, isn't there? Every single one of us here, in our own little way, we are narcissists. We are mini-narcissists in a certain sense. Some of us are bigger narcissists than others. Because you know who we always look out for, first and foremost? We always look out for ourselves, don't we? We're number one. That's what we spend most of our life preoccupying ourselves with, number one. You, me, 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 me. We are all narcissists in a certain sense, to a certain degree. Some more than others. He says, church is a treatment for narcissism. And then he goes on, he said, I am not number one. I am beholden to my maker. I need to pay attention to the divine. To live rightly with my fellow pedestrians, I find that kind of interesting that he refers to the people that he walks down the street of New York City, his neighbors and his friends, they are his fellow pedestrians. To live rightly with my fellow pedestrians and part of church, part of church is the walk down this narrow canyon of high-rises and seeing the faces and hearing the voices. Seeing the faces and hearing the voices. And then his little one-sentence prayer, he says, make me an instrument of thy love. And he signs it, sir. He refers to God as sir. Sometimes it simply needs to be said plainly. And Garrison Keillor oftentimes has the gift of saying it so plainly. I am not number one. I am beholden to my maker. 
I need to pay attention to the divine, to live rightly with my fellow pedestrians, and to see their faces and hear their voices. Make me an interest, inter, instrument of thy peace and of thy love, sir. Jesus turns to the crowd and shares the essence of the gospel message in two very short sentences. The essence of the gospel. If anybody wants to come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life because of me will find it. That is the essence of the gospel message. Take up your cross and follow me. That is a daily thing. You know, we Lutherans, we're pretty good at that, aren't we? Reminding ourselves daily, 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 daily. That's something that Martin Luther pounded into our heads. For those of us who remember our confirmation, that daily, 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 we return to the Lord, our God. We remember our baptismal covenant that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. We walk and we keep our eyes on the divine Every day of our lives, we are asked and we are reminded to pay attention to the divine. To tell ourselves that we are not number one. When are we ever going to get that into our thick skulls? And when we truly take the time to pay attention to the divine and to see the Lord of life, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, when we take and keep our eyes on the divine and pay attention to the divine, and we see the Lord of our life who loved and loved and loved all the way to the end. And when we look at Jesus' life, he walked and he walked and he loved alongside of and he accompanied the sick, the blind, the outcast, the dying. And that's just the beginning of the list. All we have to do is look to the Gospels to see where Jesus spent most, if not all, of his life he spent it with the sick, the blind, the outcast, and the dying, and that's just the beginning. And Jesus, through his life and through his mentorship of us, he invites us to live lives shaped by that same love, that same forgiveness, and that we are invited to live lives shaped by the actions that Jesus had that were shaped by compassion and hope. I think that's what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. I had the privilege of having multiple conversations this week, as is the case most weeks for me. I, I have a lot of conversations with a lot of people every single week. But this week seemed to be a little bit heavier than most. And most of the people that I spoke with this week are facing some kind of challenge, some kind of difficult life circumstance, some kind of hard life reality. And one of the persons I spoke with this week has a son-in-law who is 62 years old who is dying of cancer. There are no more treatments that are available to help him, and the doctor has already informed the family that he probably has less than a month to live. It is not an easy time for her as the mother-in-law or for her daughter who's married to the man who's dying, or for the children whose father is no longer going to be with them in just a few weeks. I visited with a man this week whose wife is dealing with and suffering from Parkinson's. 
If you know anything about Parkinson's disease, it is a devastating disease. It literally, you see yourself literally becoming weaker and weaker and weaker and your body just fades away. And yet this man, he loves his wife. He loves his wife dearly and deeply. And he spends almost every waking moment of his day tending and caring for her. He does have some help coming in once in a while, but he spends almost every waking moment tending and caring for her. I visited with two different people this week who are facing open-heart surgery. They both need that surgery to repair serious damage to their hearts. And when, that, when those hearts are repaired because of the surgery, it's going to afford them the opportunity to live relatively normal and productive lives again. And for one of them, it's the opportunity to spend more quality time with his grandchildren. And for the other, it's just simply the opportunity to actually have life back and to spend time with her, with, her, with her own family and friends and her church. I visited a woman this past week who has a court date coming up this week on Wednesday. And she is facing the possibility of multiple, multiple years in prison. And she is absolutely devastated because she knows that if she ends up going to prison, it's going to be for a long time. And that she probably won't be able to see her family, especially her son, very often because she'll be behind bars. Do you know what the number one denominator is for every one of these people? You know what their number one denominator is? Their, their greatest desire, their greatest desire is to have more time to love and to have more time to be with the ones that they love. That's all they really want is more time to love. You know, I knew going into every one of these visits that it was not going to be an easy place to be. It, 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 isn't, it isn't an easy place to be. Anytime we are talking with and visiting with people who are going through significant challenges in their life, health issues, emotional issues, mental issues, whatever it might be, cancer, all of these various circumstances, they are very hard places to be. But I also know, but I also know as hard as that is and how unpleasant that can be and how uncomfortable it can be for us, I also know that this is where Jesus is calling you and me to be. That's right. You and me. That's where Jesus is. That's what it means to take up our cross, to be with those who are suffering. When Jesus tells us to take up our cross and follow him, it means going to those hard places. And sometimes it means just simply being present. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. Just simply be present. And that by being present, we are fulfilling the greatest commandment, and that is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And as Garrison Keillor says, part of being church is seeing faces and hearing their voices. I think that's what he really means when he says that, that we're seeing faces and hearing voices. We're being, we're being present. Of course, I have, to, I have to quote theologian Deb Thomas, 
She has some helpful words for us this week, and I hope that you find them helpful to you as well. She says, To take up our cross, as Jesus did, is to stand always in the center of the world's pain, not just to glance in the general direction of suffering, but to dwell there. What does it mean to dwell? It means to actually spend time there. Don't give it lip service. Spend time there. To identify ourselves with those who are aching, as our scripture says today in Romans, to spend our time with those who are weak, aching, weeping, screaming, and dying. And to insist, she says, that our comfort isn't worth it unless the least and the lost can share in it too. That's a heavy thought, but I think it's something worth considering, that we are to take up our cross and to stand in the middle of the center of the world's pain and not just glance at the general direction of suffering, but to dwell there. I'd like to believe, I'd like to believe that because I was present in the lives of those people this week that I took the time to dwell with them in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their anxiety, in the midst of their grief, in the midst of their sense of loss, and that somehow by my presence and my conversation with them, that somehow that was helpful to them and that they felt heard and that they felt listened to that they saw themselves being seen, that they saw themselves being heard, and that somehow they sensed and they felt love, and that somehow through this gift of the Holy Spirit and through the working of the Holy Spirit, they sensed God's love as well. Deb Thomas also wrote something that I think is worthy of our consideration. She wrote, Taking up the cross means recognizing Christ crucified in every suffering soul and body that surrounds us. Have you ever thought about that? That when we see people who are suffering, either in body or soul, that if we really look at them, we see Christ. Just like you and I. We see Christ in each other, do we not? Christ is in us. The scriptures tell us that Christ dwells in us, that Christ makes his home in us. That means that when we see Christ in one another, that we also see Christ in those people of us who are suffering in body and mind. There's not, theologically, that is so right on. She says, taking up the cross means recognizing Christ crucified in every suffering soul and body that surrounds us and pouring our energies and our lives into alleviating their, alleviating their pain. Taking up the cross means accepting against all the lies of our culture. And what, are the, what do the lies of our culture say? Oh, well, get this exercise equipment and you're going to be really good. Eat this kind of food and you're going to be really good. You know, invest in this and you're going to be really wealthy. And, you know, all those lies out there that just keep bombarding us every day that say, you know, you're going to cheat death. You're going to cheat death. You're going to cheat death. You're going to be able to cheat death because you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. Those are all lies. And she says, take up the cross means accepting the fact that you and I are going to die. And it means following up that courageous acceptance that takes courage to accept the fact that we're going to die and to ask ourselves the most important question. Given my inevitable death, how shall I spend my brief, singular, God-breathed life? How are you and I going to spend the rest of our brief, singular, God-breathed life? Well, I believe that if you ask every one of those persons that I talked with this week, their answer to that question would be, I would spend the rest of my life loving and loving and loving 
all the way to the end. And hopefully our answer, hopefully our answer will be something like that. That even in the midst of our own finitude, that you and I, we are given the privilege and the gift from the one who loves us, the one who has always loved us, the one that makes it possible for us to love, and to take that same love from Christ and to share it generously and freely, generously and freely, just like Jesus did, and to live and love and the freedom of knowing that because of Christ and because of his victory over death and the grave, that absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing will ever separate us from the love of Christ our Lord. Take up your cross and follow me. Amen. I invite you to pray now the prayer our Lord has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Tell what God has done. Thanks be to God.